0: This is the Proud American Podcast, and I'm your host, Johnny Joey Jones. On August 6, 2010, I lost my legs in Afghanistan, and most of you know that by now, but many of you probably don't know the things I gained that day. Along with a lifelong commitment to truly fall in love with life, I gained some experiences and most importantly, relationships that will undoubtedly last for the rest of my life. One of those lifelong friends, and for me, an inspiration, is Terry McCarthy, now the CEO of the American Society of Cinematographers. In 2010, Terry was a war correspondent for CBS Evening News and was covering my team as we swept for IEDs in the town of Safar Bazaar. Terry earned his fourth Emmy on that deployment, but his fight to tell the truth is what makes him truly a proud American. Terry, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, Johnny. Good to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I um. I want to uh, address the obvious here. You speak with a certain, um, I guess we call it down here in the South, jingle in your voice, and that's because you are born and raised in Ireland, that's correct?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Ireland. Um, I went to school and college there, but I got out of college at a time when Ireland's economy was really bad, like 20% unemployment. And so I did what so many other Irish people did. I came to the United States and largely made my career here and that made me very grateful for this great country and, and a very proud American to the name of your podcast
0: no absolutely and that's a it's funny I like to break the fourth wall probably more than I should to be honest with you here but I texted I was like hey man you know I know all the things you've done but are you are you technically an American or and so because you know it's a proud American podcast but the more I thought about that the more I realized man doesn't that really just speak to what this country is and and what it means to be a proud American I mean we've got um you know, we're in the month of September here and, and some pretty amazing things have happened in Afghanistan. And we've got hundreds of thousands of people fleeing that country. And, uh, and, and it's just the idea that this country serves as that beacon of light or magnet of freedom that people all around the world from some pretty good places still find a way to just call this home. So let me just
1: say, you know, I've traveled a lot around the world. I was a foreign correspondent for almost 30 years. And the the unique thing about the United States is that you can literally come from anywhere in the world and you can become an American. And it requires, you know, you've got to get naturalized and you pretty much have to take on board a set of values that this country represents, broadly speaking. But, you know, and I did that, you know, and I I got my green card and then I was naturalized. I now have a U.S. passport and I'm proud to say I am American. You can't do that with almost any other country. I've, I've been in Asia, I've been in the Middle East, I've been in Europe. You cannot go as a foreigner to China or Russia or Nigeria or, or even England and spend 20 years there and say, you know, now I'm Chinese or I'm a Russian or I'm an English. You're not. You're always going to be a foreigner. And you may get citizenship. You may get the right to live there. You might marry somebody from that country, but you will always be a foreigner. And that's one of the unique things about this great country where you can literally become an American and it's it requires a certain acceptance of, of our way of life. But but that that is, I think, one of the great, great glories of this great country.
0: I love the way you put that. And and it took me a minute to realize what you were saying. You're not talking about the legality or the technicality. You're talking about how people view you. And, and I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. I, I'm from a small town in Georgia. And you know there, I didn't know what a synagogue was until I was an adult. I didn't get to experience other cultures. But I never viewed... Someone I, I came in contact with is anything other than an American. Regardless, you know, And I really, um, maybe it's because of how I was raised or maybe it's just how this country is. But, man, I'm thankful for it. And, um, and this is such a unique place. And we'll talk more about, I want to talk more about how you came to be the proud American you are. And um, I know you pretty intimately. There are only a handful of people uh, who saw me uh, in the moments <laughs> that had not people not taken action, I probably would have died. And you're one of them. And you're one of, of even fewer that, that saw me that day that I've stayed in contact with and become close to. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I found this Ted talk that I did not know existed. And you talked about that day. And I just loved, I mean, it, when people ask yeah, me. Yeah, I
1: did. It was a big day. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Nor will you.
0: <laughs> but, um, but that was your, you know, I thought, well, well, how much does that matter to Terry? Because it mattered a lot to me. And then I found that TED Talk and it, and it made me reevaluate like, hey, this day was really important to me. But it was a tough day for a lot of us. We lost a Marine that day. And I started doing research and I realized, man, you, you had really you've probably spent a lot more time at war than I have. I can guarantee it. And I guess my question is going back all the way to 2003, uh, when you're driving from Kuwait to Baghdad in Iraq, covering that. Um, and you started, I guess, right after 9-11, going to Pakistan and Afghanistan. What what made you want to do this for a living?
1: So that's an interesting question. I, I had spent the first half of my career as a foreign correspondent in Asia, um, based in Bangkok and then Tokyo. And there were a bunch of conflicts there. You know, there were small level border conflicts between Burma and Thailand. There was fighting going on in Cambodia with the Vietnamese who had invaded with the Soviets and um, the resistance pushing back. There were military coups in the Philippines. And by a process of just being on the on the spot, you know, you start to do, uh, you know, war, war correspondence. Uh, and then when the big, when the big call comes, you know, when we invaded Iraq, um, well, when, when, when first when 9-11 happened, you know, I was at Time Magazine and they look around their roster and they say well we've got you know three or four correspondents who've done wars let's send them first because it's a sad reality that correspondents that get hurt or photographers that get hurt in wars a lot of them are you know on their first or second assignment they they there's sort of a little bit too gung-ho and they get out ahead of themselves so you know experience is, is important and i i just kind of had it because i had been in asia so they sent me to afghanistan after 9 11 and we we saw the northern alliance push the uh, the taliban out um it's ironic that we're talking about this 20 years after the Taliban march right back into where they were but there you go um, and so that was at the, at the time if you recall that was the story in the world we just lost 3000 people in new york and the pentagon and <clears throat> we were trying to find who'd done it and so the 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 media was was focused on this and and it was great to be there you know watching this history being made uh, there weren't a lot of Americans on the ground. You know, there were some uh, special forces guys who were helping the Northern Alliance, but it was clearly an American run effort. We could see the AWACS planes circling above us in the sky and then the airstrikes that came in to help them. And so we were, we were, you know, part of that push down from Northern Afghanistan. We, we arrived in Kabul. Uh, <laughs> the Taliban fled uh, just before Thanksgiving. I remember buying a turkey and chicken street in, in the market in Kabul and having that cooked for some of our colleagues uh, from the media um, on, on Thanksgiving, it was kind of a strange Thanksgiving, but there you go. Um, but it was, it was a sense that, that we were, we were following a, a righteous war. You know, the United States had, had been shocked by this attack and we were trying to find the guys that had done that and, and put them out of commission. And that's, that's
0: what that story was all about. I. The reason why I wanted to talk to you is I got to go to war twice and I got to go the second time and spend time with folks like you, war correspondents, people from the media there to make sure the story is told and told with truth. And I think you have a certain obligation to objectivity that I don't have. As a United States Marine, I better be fully indoctrinated because I'm going to go fight this war and I'm going to have to do things that I may have to live with. And I don't mean like kill somebody, but just... See, you know, be be this force of of hopefully righteousness, but certainly do whatever I have to do to keep myself and my brothers and sisters alive. And you have these embedded media people, and your initial reaction is gonna be, oh great, they're just trying to, you know, show something negative. And that was not my experience with you all. And I guess my question is, do you think that people truly get to appreciate both the risk you take? and kind of the cause that you're embarking upon when you're media and you're going to war to tell the story?
1: That's a good question. So often I was asked during and afterwards, so aren't you biased, you know, you're embedded with US troops, you're not getting the full story. And that's that's a problem, Um, not the way people think it was though. Clearly, you know, I don't want the US to lose the war. I'm I'm American, (laughs) we're the good guys. But my professional job is to try and report on the facts what's happening as independently as I can. The problem we had, both in Iraq and in Afghanistan, was that the kidnap danger was so high, and with al-Qaeda going around cutting people's heads off, you remember Danny Pearl, who was the Wall Street Journal reporter who had his head cut off in in Pakistan, it, it, it became increasingly dangerous, if not impossible, to travel around these countries on our own. And so by we were forced to to embed with us troops and uh, there was really my experience pretty much all the time was there was no real effort to censor what we were doing the uh, the military wanted to get their story out the marine corps is a lot easier to deal with in the army just because they are they have less you know public relations infrastructure so you once, once I uh, achieved the trust level of, of the battalion that you were attached to and the, and the commanding officer, lieutenant colonel, then ben Watson, he pretty much let us go where we, where we, where we wanted to go and, and trusted us to report what we saw, which is what we did. I think that the media now has become, I would say, even more partisan um, than in the past. And that reflects badly on on those reporters that try and report down the middle, because if you if you if you do approach a story with your personal angle, um, it kind of under under undercuts everything that you're doing. Um, so I would always, for example, I would always in my reports I would always say American troops or American Marines just did this or the other. I wouldn't say we did this because I I even though. You know, in, in my heart, of course, I want want the US to prevail. I am not going to let that infect my reporting, and so I am not going to say I am one of the. I am an outsider. I am watching what's going on, and here is here is the way I, I see it happening. It was, it was an interesting thing, Johnny, in in Iraq, because that war was a lot less popular. I think there was broad support for the the uh, attack on on al-Qaeda and, and the chase for bin Laden in, in Afghanistan. But there were more questions about the war in Iraq. And so at the beginning, it went badly. You know, the uh, insurgencies got stood up. Al-Qaeda were blowing people up all over the place. Uh, we were taking huge casualties, more than in Afghanistan, as you know. Um, but then, you know, they kind of turned it around. Um, and you had General Petraeus, who I think is, is, is one of the greatest generals we've had, certainly this uh in, in in recent years um paired with a very smart ambassador us ambassador ryan crocker in baghdad who was a fluent arabic speaker and and they turned around they stood up the sons of iraq and anbar province where the marines were based um, they took on al-qaeda and they basically had them on the ropes um but it took the media a long time to accept that because there was a certain line amongst some of my colleagues sadly which was this is a, a, a unjustified war. Therefore, everything that we do from now on is also bad. Now, my position on this was I'm not going to legislate whether it was a good or bad decision to to invade. But I can tell you right now that you've got a country that's in ruins and you've got a lot of U.S. troops who are at risk. It makes sense to try and pacify the situation and, you know, return the country to a semblance of normality. And Petraeus and Crocker achieved that and a lot of brave American soldiers who were doing counterinsurgency and so on, it took a long time for the media to change the narrative. Um, and I remember going out with Petraeus once um, and walking down the streets of Dora, which was, a you may remember, was a very dangerous part of southern Baghdad. Um, and we were able to show that people were back opening up stores and, you know, life was slowly coming back to normal. And getting criticized by some of my colleagues for, for supposedly being, a, a you know, a a, a spokesperson for the U.S. military. And I said, no, I just went down to the streets and I looked at what the Iraqis were doing. And if you do that, you might change your mind too. So I think it's really important going both directions, you know, to keep an open mind. Um, if we do something bad, that should be also uh, broadcast. You know, sometimes we screw up. And Petraeus himself would always say, be first for the truth. Be first with the truth. If we make a mistake, we should admit it. But it also means don't bring your private agenda to the reporting um, uh, and and uh, uh, keep your objectivity. So I, I feel quite strongly about that.
0: On that on that topic, um, you know, when you were covering Iraq and Afghanistan, President Obama was famously and sometimes notoriously known for using drones. And we just had a drone attack in Afghanistan that you know we we don't know yet um, what the outcome of that was or how good the intelligence was. And it's not to get you into a political corner, but. Um, I guess my question is there do you think that we're we're potentially falling into a trap of circumventing because I've heard you talk about this how we fight wars of circumventing like the way you explained it in your TED talk is it's almost and I agree with this if this I don't mean to put words in your mouth but it's almost a responsibility to fight the war so you do understand the human cost and I guess my question is do you think technology might put us in a position to where wars almost I guess too easy, and and the end result is, you know, making those types of mistakes.
1: Yeah, the, the the point of the TED talk that there are costs to war was to emphasize that when you involve any country in armed conflict, there are going to be casualties. And it was, it was. I think you might recall that film that Catherine Bigelow made, Zero Dark Thirty, about capturing and killing um osama bin laden you know that was a a, an exceptionally well executed mission where no us forces were killed but it because of the high profile nature of that target and the the publicity the film received you got the impression that the us is all powerful and has the ability to send in highly trained operators under the cover of darkness in these sophisticated Helicopters kill the bad guys and get out, and there are no costs to the United States. Now, my problem is that that is a very exceptional mission. It's very exceptional that you can do that and get out with no costs. Almost always, there are costs to the home team, and it is disingenuous and dishonest of politicians to say, you know, we can fight a war with drones and special forces, and we don't lose any Americans. It's fine. We just kill the bad guys. Well, that's not the way it works. Yeah, and so. I, I'm not against drones per se. I mean, they're a very useful tool in the weapons kit of, of of the military. But I think that if you slip into this notion that we can fight a war remotely from our armchairs or from you know Creech Air Force Base in, in Nevada, whatever, um, and not put any Americans at risk, you're fundamentally misunderstanding what human conflict is all about. Because human conflict is about people being killed, and sometimes you know there are righteous wars. I don't think anyone's going to stand up and say we shouldn't have taken on the Japanese and Hitler in the Second World War, Um, and that cost a lot of casualties. But you need to know there will be casualties, and so don't start making flip judgments about sending in the special forces and solve this bunch of bad guys. It's not never that simple. You need to weigh the the costs with the the benefits.
0: I think one thing Americans probably don't get to respect, and it's not their fault, is how much even the life of the enemy – Matters to us to take it, I guess, is the best way to put it. I mean, it's the idea of let's go in and kill them all. Uh, sometimes, like you said, that's probably the right thing to do. There are certainly people in this world that I wish didn't exist um, because of the bad things they'll do. But any, you know, I think the heart of what you're getting at is we got into two wars. I don't think the American people for about 10 years even understood they were two different wars because the war chant was so obvious and strong. And we had a reason. We had a very important reason. We just celebrated 20 years uh, since we've put that behind us. Um, And ironically, just put that war behind us. But the idea that we can just jump on a bandwagon, it really what we're talking about is the is our responsibility to keep our politicians and decision makers in check, because there is no such thing as a as a bloodless war.
1: That's correct. And, And I'm not the first person to say this, but there are very, very few politicians in Congress who've had military service these days. And that's very different from the generation, you know, after the Second World War, where you had a lot of, a lot of senators and congressmen, even president, who served in the military. That's that's, a, I think, you know, there's a temptation there for people who have no experience of war to say, "Well, we can we can handle this. We're the greatest nation on the earth, and we can handle this." Well, yes, we are, but there are still going to be costs.
0: Well. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about some some things that are more specific to your minor action and uh, with the last little part of this podcast. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio
0: on the Fox News app. Download it today. All right. (laughs) We got into some heavy topics there and probably as much theology as our own experience, this idea of when do you go to war and how do you do it? But more specifically, you and I spent time together in Afghanistan and, um, and it was a different war than Iraq. And it's one that we probably fought for <laughs> more than a decade longer than we should have. It's so, you know, I tried to explain to people, we pushed the Taliban out of Afghanistan in 2001. And essentially, in my opinion, we did it again when I was there to a large extent, And I felt like politics probably stopped our ability to claim victory there, domestic politics even. And I really wanted to give you a chance on this podcast. Is there a lesson learned, either from war or in Afghanistan specifically, that you saw as a journalist covering it that you feel like just has not been highlighted or spoken or or even ignored purposefully? Is there something that you think the American people should hear they haven't had a chance to about this war in Afghanistan specifically?
1: Johnny, I would say that the war in Afghanistan is a really good example of the bigger problem this country faces with its foreign policy in general, which is we didn't understand Afghanistan when we went in and we didn't understand it when we left. And that both both led to problems. And I think that the bigger issue here is, and, and what's driven my career for 30 years as, as a reporter overseas, mostly for American media, has been this 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 desire to help inform the American people better about foreign countries. Our footprint is the biggest footprint in the world. We have an enormous military, we have enormous capabilities, and you know we took on the Japanese and the Germans in the Second World War, and we basically uh, won that war. Uh, we can do these great things, but we need to understand the situations we're getting into. Uh, we had a pretty intimate understanding of germany and and we learned pretty quickly you know what made the japanese tick and you know critically for example we didn't depose the emperor at the end of the war we realized the japanese needed a symbol to get them back together again and now they're a democracy and one of our allies we had no clue what we were getting into in afghanistan from the very beginning we were chasing osama bin laden in the caves of tora bora and we didn't realize that our supposed allies these warlords were actually talking to Bin Laden and taking money from him to help him escape to Pakistan. We didn't even understand that that would happen, but that's their culture, right? Um, And similarly, when we left, where we heard, you know, all these protestations, we had no idea that the Afghanistan military was going to fall so quickly. Well, just look at Afghan history. You know, these are tribal people who go with the wind and they saw what was happening. The US was leaving, so they needed to get on the winning side, which is the Taliban side. And the sooner they did it, the less people would die. So this was, you know, it's, it's a smaller example of a bigger problem we have, which is we, we project American values onto, onto all these foreign countries where we operate. And very often they don't apply. You know, these are countries with different traditions and not necessarily better or worse. They're just different. But if we don't understand that, we're going to make some pretty bad decisions. And because of the size of our footprint, when we make bad decisions, then, you know, the consequences can be, can be quite dramatic.
0: I think you're absolutely right, and, and I think we we probably don't report on that enough, or, or at least in today's world. We, we focus so much on, I think, what is a partisan fight, you know, the decisions made, and, and this was bad execution, and we don't take that 30,000-foot view and say – did we ever understand what we were getting into to begin with? And, um, you know, the Taliban's going to do a good job, I think, and their messaging to do, to position themselves in a place like maybe in North Korea to where they've got at least their answer for every criticism. And, and I think that's, that's what's going to be bad for us is that they're going to position themselves in this way that, that it makes it hard for us to acknowledge the obvious, which is that internally, domestically, they're probably going to wreak havoc, but, um, outwardly they're going to find partners and and probably put themselves in a way to look legitimate i think one of the things that we probably don't have time to get into is this idea of how they recruit and is there a bloodthirst among the youth that they're going to have to satisfy to keep their power um but that's you know that's another podcast for another conversation um i kind of want to wrap this up you were there that day i was injured uh you've been to war more times than i have um is it uh was it emotionally taxing, or did it have a larger effect on you? Um You know, say I guess my my point is: Do you feel like we talk about PTSD and some of the things that vets go through? Do you think the people that that spend a lot of time and, and emotional effort reporting on this war have similar feelings? Seeing and you yourself uh, seeing. The I gotta tell the you,
1: and- I gotta tell you, more than more than you would imagine. So, um. You may or may not recall this, but it's in my TED Talk. After you were hurt, they took you to the mobile trauma unit on a gurney, um, waiting for the helicopter to come in and evacuate you for medical care. And the commanding officer was there, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Ben Watson, and he went in and, and your eyes were fused shut from some shrapnel you took in your face, so you couldn't see, but you knew your legs were gone. And Ben went in and he, he, I believe he held your hand and he said, um, how are you doing son? And the very first thing he said was, I'm sorry I screwed up, sir. Now when I heard that I teared up and not only that, but some months later I was in Washington DC and I met my brother, um, for dinner. And we were chatting about stuff, and, and he said, "So, what was it like in Afghanistan when that poor guy, the the explosive guy, got 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 blown up?" And I started telling him the story. And in the middle of dinner, I just cracked up, and I was crying right in front, of, in, front in front of my brother. And I had no idea that that was all stored up inside me. So, you know, uh, you go through these things, and you 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 suppress them, and then they come out, and you deal with them one way or the other. But there is no doubt, you cannot go through experiences like that or witness experiences like that without some emotional cost. And I know that in the military, it's been hard for a lot of guys to admit it. And frankly, for war correspondents, it is too. And, uh, I think it's, it's, you know, everyone has to find their own way through it, but yes, there is an emotional cost there. And, you know, I will never forget that day. Uh, it was, a uh, that was a big day for, for, for a lot of us and your, your colleagues too, you know, cause we interviewed some of the guys from the unit there about what had gone down. And they were all they were all very emotional as well. And you've probably seen that on the f- TV footage that we, we show.
0: Well, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being there, for fighting to tell the truth. I'll, uh, I'll post links to the TED Talks. I think it's important. And, and I didn't mean really for us to circle around it, but it's what we share in common. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for, for fighting to tell the truth in your career and um, and for being there not only for me, but for our country in that way. I know you're a proud American. I want to give you a chance to kind of let people know what you're involved in and and if there's any call to action to keep up with you or the things you're passionate about.
1: Well, I'm now running the American Society of Cinematographers, the ASC, so I'm now looking at the entertainment world. Um, But I'm out there on the media, and you can see me. You can get me on the website, theasc.com. I am always interested in things that can help this country understand the the world that we live in and the world that frankly needs us because there ain't anyone else that's going to do America's job in keeping this world a, a better place.
0: There you have it. I appreciate you, Terry. Thank you so much for coming on and I look forward uh, to the next conversation. Maybe we can tell some stories about running marathons and other things we've got to do.
1: Yay, it'd be my pleasure. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> Take care, brother. Bye. Now. Terry McCarthy chose us. He has literally traveled the world He speaks the the languages and has seen the best and worst of what this world has to offer. Yet, in his pursuit to tell the truth, he found this amazing country to be his home and his people. I believe we are the greatest country in the world, and I'm proud to have Terry McCarthy as a friend, brother, and fellow proud American. To hear more stories like this, visit foxnewspodcast.com. And be sure to check back next week for a brand new Proud American story. I'm Johnny Joey Jones.